Bauer, thank you. That was well said. Very well said and well needed. And it's only a beginning. So thank you for, for sharing. Uh, this morning, I wanted to go over a couple of things with you before we, we get into the message. Just a couple of announcements, uh, quick announcements. But thanks for, for coming. Those of you that could come this week, thank you so much for coming. You guys are styling. As I look out and see these masks, these are, these are great. You know what I found out about masks, though? You find out that your ears don't line up. At least that's the way mine are. They're, they're crooked. You also find out that your nose is crooked. And I found out this morning, I was bald, and I didn't realize that because of that mask. I found out those things. So anyway, thank you for coming so much. It's, it's good to be able to meet together. Thank you for attending people at home. Uh, you are not forgotten just because you're at home. You guys were prayed for this morning, and we so appreciate you. Um, as far as offering goes, we are not taking normal offerings, but there is an offering basket in the back. If you did bring an offering and you'd like to put it, you can put it in the basket in the back, and I'll take care of that later. Um, and again, you can continue to give online if that's your desire as well. Thank you so much for sharing your finances with the church. You guys have been incredible during this time, and it's a real blessing. Um, two more announcements real quick. This Saturday, we will be having a corporate prayer meeting. This Saturday, we'll once again do it online. We will, uh, we will have a Zoom meeting. I'll be sending out that link to you. And, um, and that'll be at 8 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. And the men's study, you'll be doing that online as well. You can use the same link as the prayer meeting one, which means you can go to both. But, uh, yeah, the excitement is just 8 o'clock is early to get in the morning and pray. But uh, the guy's study will start at 9, I believe, 9.15, no, and, um, and you're welcome to attend that, guys. So that will be exciting as well. I should put my glasses on so I can see something. Well... We're going to get right into the, the message this morning. And, and this, is, uh, this is Pentecost Sunday as well. And just the celebration and the thought of really the church. The day of Pentecost was when the church began and it just exploded through the power of God's Spirit. And it began a movement that has never ended. And we are a part of that movement. And so it's an exciting time that we are still looking at the book of Acts. And it's the day of Pentecost, and we're still seeing how the church is growing, the church is moving. Uh, for the title for my message, I put, no such thing as a detour. I've changed the title 50 times. But um, I think as we look at detours, we always look at them as being bad, of taking us off our path, going to another direction. There's something bad that's up ahead and we have to go around it. Um, I think what we need to realize is uh, the detour is the path. And we're going to see that today. We're going to see that the detour is the path to what God has intended on doing. So, my main point this morning, and Jim, I'm, I'm changing some things around slide-wise, so that'll mess you up, so thank you for 
serving the way you're doing. But my main point this morning is God opens our hearts. He opens our eyes and he changes our lives even in the most unexpected situations. So God opens our hearts, opens our eyes, changes our lives, even in the most unexpected situations. And we see that, as Bauer shared last week, and these passages, we have so much information, it's hard to get everything done, but um, we saw that there was a, a rift between Paul and Barnabas, and they split ways, and Paul took Silas with him, and in this section, you know, they, they went and encouraged the churches, and then there was a dream that they should go to Macedonia. And during that time in Troas, they picked up Luke, and that's where we start to see the we passages in the book of Acts, because Luke wrote the book of Acts, and all of a sudden you see these we things in here, and us. And we're going, what's going on here? And because Luke's hanging out, okay? And that's why we're seeing those as well. So they go to Philippi. And they take a boat there, which is pretty good because it's like 250 miles trip. So to take a boat, I think, was the wise thing to do. And then we are at where we want to begin. So what I would like to do before we continue on is pray. And then we're going to read verses 11 through 15. We're going to start with that. I'm breaking up the, the passages between the points. So let's pray. So, Father, thank you that we can look at your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we can see your church grow. We can see so many things in your word, the power, the kindness, the goodness, the detours. Lord, we can see power and activity that we always just hope and pray that we will experience. And we see your loving heart opening people's eyes and hearts. So, Lord, bless this time. Help me to communicate as we go through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, let me read Acts chapter 16. We'll start with 11 and go through verse 15. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and to the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord, listen to this, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as, she, um, as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Okay, my first point this morning, is God is willing and opens our hearts so that we can pay attention. God's willing and he opens our hearts so we can pay attention. And they use Lydia to teach us this. And Lydia, who's really the first, you know, we could say she's the first European convert 
for the church. She was a God-fearing woman. She had an interest. She had a hunger. And God shares the gospel with her. And he's saying that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. You were a sinner. You understand that because you're a God-fearer. And if you believe that you were a sinner and that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin, you accept that as truth. You see it as a reality. It begins to change your life. And you're forgiven. And that's what she was looking for. She was a God-fearer. She wanted to understand. He brought something that he wanted, that she wanted, a relationship with God. See, God was already at work in Lydia's heart. He was already doing something. There was a spiritual hunger. There was a desire to know God, a hope to put God in the forefront of her life, And God brought about that opportunity for her. Paul and Silas show up. There's no accident here. They come to the town. And Paul says, I'm looking for a place. Where should we go to find people? And so normally they would go to a synagogue or someplace like that. It was not a Jewish community. It was a Roman colony. There wasn't necessarily a synagogue in the town. So where do you go? And in tradition... They would go to the river and sometimes people would be praying there because when people go to pray, they used to wash their hands before they would pray. And so they would go to the river and they would find people there that were worshiping. It was on the Sabbath. So in verse 13, it says, On the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. So there wasn't anything formal there, sitting there, set up, no synagogue, everything. They went there, and there were people there, and they just sat down, and they started to talk. They started to share with the people. Have you ever asked yourself, when you get up in the morning, now where should I go and talk to people about Jesus? Have you ever done that? Do you, do you just you know just say, okay, it's a new day. Where should I go? And talk to people about Jesus. This was Paul's mentality. This was something that he wanted to do. This was exciting. I've thought about it. You know, I always say, oh, you know, who do I know? Who wouldn't hurt me? Who wouldn't, you know, we kind of, we kind of try to figure out what's the best way and the safest way to go and share something about Jesus. I'm not as gutsy as Paul is. I don't know if there are a few of us. I know Bauer is probably as gutsy as Paul is, but I don't know about me. But I know a lot of you go to coffee shops and you go there a lot and you go there over and over and you start to get to know people. Or the train, you ride the train every day and you get to meet people on the train and you see them over and over again. Or you go to the same gas station all the time. Or to restaurants and you get to know these people. Grocery stores. They start, if, if things are going well for you, they start to recognize you. You know, I don't know if I've told you this before, but at the at uh, one of the grocery stores, I am I am known by one of the produce guys as the melon whisperer because I can always pick out a good cantaloupe. And he has asked me what my secret is of picking out a good cantaloupe. And I'm telling him I'm the. I told him one day I said I'm going to have my daughters come in sometime, and they're going to come up to you and they're going to say the the melon whisperer sent me and you know and he started laughing and but you start to get to know these people so what do you have when you start to get to know these people what do you have you have opportunity it's an opportunity and paul saw opportunities over and over and over again 
And there was one there that heard him. Heard what he had to say. It was Lydia. She was from Thyatira. She also had a house in Philippi. She's probably a very wealthy person. She had her own business, purple goods. And she was that worshiper of God. And it says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. Opened here, when we define that, when we, when we talk about it, it's open thoroughly what has been closed. That's what the word means. To open the mind to think, the ears to hear, the eyes to see, to arouse in one's desire to know and learn. That's what the word means. And this is what happened to Lydia. It was a work of God. God opened her heart. God opened her mind. He gave her the eyes to see. If you aren't sure about God, but you're saying there's something there, and you're just not sure, ask God to open your heart, open your eyes, open your ears. Her heart was open for a purpose, and it was the purpose to pay attention. Pay attention. In the New American Standard Version, it says to respond. So in the Greek, it means to bring near. It's also the use, the word that's used when you're landing a ship. When you're bringing a ship in, you're bringing this big thing in, and you're bringing it into dock. It means you're, you want to receive what's being said here. You're attaching yourself. You're devoting to the thought of what's going on. And God opened her heart to pay attention. It wasn't dependent on her own ability. It wasn't dependent on her own intellect. Isn't that what we do a lot of the times? We depend on our own ability, our own intellect, our educational background, how much we know, our own process, what's, what's important to us. And really... God's behind it all. It's not so much of how we can prepare. It's not how smart we are. God plays such an important part. And I think it's important to realize this. If we realize the fact that God is willing to open our hearts, open ourselves so much that we can pay attention, doesn't it motivate us all the more to pray for our kids? to be praying for our children that God would open up their heart, that they would be able to pay attention to what's going on. Okay? It also gives us motivation to face our day, face our work, whatever we have to do. As you see, Lydia wants to know more. She keeps saying, hey, I want you to come back to my house and I'm, I really want to know. She's a learner now. She's hungry for the word of God. She wants to get questions answered. She wouldn't take no for an answer either. She urged them. Paul really didn't want to. That was kind of the impression you get from there. Paul didn't really want to get. She kept urging and urging. So he said, okay, okay, we'll go to your house. And that's what will happen. All because God was willing to open a heart, and for them to be able to pay attention. Now, they go to the house, and we don't know if a couple of days go by, but the next point I have here is a funny thing happens, funny things happen on the way to prayer. And uh, they do, and we're going to look at that. And so we're going to read the next section, verses 16 through 24, to see what happens here. Is this a detour? Is it something that God has 
wrapped some things around that he's going to use. But let's look at it, verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her, and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And remember that, many days. Paul, having greatly become annoyed, it wouldn't have taken many days for me, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. Remember this. These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, And the magistrates tore the garments off them, gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, as we saw earlier, when Paul and the guys were in town, yeah, the guys, because we're on a first name basis, the guys were in town, they went to pray. They always looked for the places to pray. And so we find them, each day, really, they're going to pray. They're going somewhere to pray. It's a thing. You go to pray. It's a thing we should do. You should do the thing. It's something you should learn, and we should get a hold of it, and we should grab a hold of it. Prayer is an important part. I will beat that horse to death as long as I live. Always go and pray. But I don't know about you. When you go to pray, how many of you run into distractions? You have any distractions? We run into distractions. The phone. Phones are major distractions. Texts. All of a sudden you hear that, you know, you hear that noise, that phone vibrates, and you go, oh, I wonder if it's important. And you pick it up, and you look at it, and somebody sent you a picture of a puppy. You know, that's important stuff. And then you say, you know what, I better check on Facebook, there might be more. So then you start going there, these distractions come our way. Our kids can sometimes be a distraction. I used to try to lock Roxanne away so she could have her devotions, and the kids would... Stay away from her. My thoughts are a big distraction. My lists of the things that I have to do. All these things. And of course, you have the demonic woman following you. That is a big distraction. Okay? This is a huge distraction. And she's saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, you'd think that would be a great advertisement. But that's not the way Paul saw it. Paul was faced with this distraction for days. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up in school, especially elementary school, because they used to teach us nice little things that they hoped we would learn, we'd keep them as we were older. But one of the things they said to me was, 
First impressions are good. And if you're going to make a first impression, it better be a good one. You should always make good first impressions upon people. So what does Paul do? He gets greatly annoyed. Now, this is going to affect his first impression. He becomes greatly annoyed, which means he becomes troubled. He's displeased. He's offended. He's pained. He's starting to get worked up. That's what the Greek word means. He's annoyed. So he commands the demon out of her, and it comes out that very hour. Now, this sermon is not a sermon on the deliverance ministry or anything like that. If you want to talk about that, see me later. And, uh, but it had a major impact, a major impact on the community. And I don't think he expected that. It was his first impression kind of got flushed. This was a slave girl. She was a fortune teller. She was a slave. She was enslaved in two ways. She was a slave to someone. Someone owned her. And she was also in spiritual bondage as well. And Paul saw that. You know, there are a lot of people enslaved in many ways. And, and we walk through life and we see these struggles and they, they hinder us and hold us down. They're chains that are around us all the time for many different reasons. Maybe it's our upbringing. Maybe it's just uh, the way we were educated. There are a lot of different ways that we can be in bondage. And she was in bondage in two ways. Her enslavement was a major source of income for her owner. They got lots of money because she could tell the future. She could tell people things that they needed to know. But after she was delivered from this demon, she became useless monetarily to these people. So they seized Paul and Silas, the owners did, and they bring them to court. Silas was probably saying, you know, I could have gone with Barnabas, and now I'm stuck here with Paul. But they seized them, they bring them to court, they accuse them, and it says in verse 20, these men are Jews. That's the first thing they said. These men are Jews. That set the stage. It wasn't what they did, it was the fact that they were Jews. These men are Jews and they are disturbing the city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept and practice. And the crowd joins in and attacks them, tears their clothes off, beat them many times with rods, and they were thrown in jail. Sort of sounds familiar. Of what the things, what things are going on around here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rant for a little bit. That's okay. And Bauer, I so appreciated what you had to say uh, just concerning this. But prejudice, you know, I'm half Jewish. And, you know, when I read these things, it's not just the half of me that gets riled up. It's the all of me that gets riled up. When I see when Jews are, when Jews are persecuted, and then I see when the black community is persecuted. When I see so many other different groups because people say they're different they are persecuted for it. Prejudice defined is a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. That's what prejudice is. Prejudice comes out of ignorance. Prejudice comes out of lies. The Bible is based on truth. Prejudice is based on hatred. The Bible is based on love. See the difference there? That's why we need to take a stand. 
Because these men were Jews, the response of the people and the magistrate was much harsher. These prejudiced attitudes were so rampant, and they've been around for centuries. And they're still here. I mean, you, you look at, if, I don't know, some of you remember the, the, the riots, the race riots in the 60s and 70s. I mean, they ended at some point, but nothing was ever taken care of. Nothing was ever totally fixed. Maybe little strides here and there, but it wasn't completely looked at. And then everybody kind of went to sleep because, well, it seems like everything's better. And they all go to sleep. And then something happens and it rises up. This is another wave that we're facing. And this is something that we need to look at. We don't want to just go back to sleep again just because things get better later on. And I think, personally, in my opinion, I think the church needs to rise up. I think the church, even as Bauer was saying, and I've seen it on uh, a lot of things on social media, the pastors are saying something's going to happen. We have churches, sister churches in Philadelphia, and they're sending out messages saying, we're seeing smoke from our houses. I mean, the church needs to rise up and say something. We don't need to be sitting back and letting these things happen. I don't care how big the church is, what the demographic of the church is, the church needs to rise up. People are angry. I don't blame them. I don't condone some of the things some of the people are doing. But the people are angry, and I don't blame them. And we should rise up as a group. I mean, we should be rising up as a a church on, on sexual harassment. We should be rising up as a church on prejudice. We should be rising up on the things. These aren't political issues. These are biblical issues that we should be talking about. And we should be rising up as a church. We should be saying something about it. We should see the sanctity of life in every person. If you want to be a pro-life person, you see the importance and the sanctity of life in every person. Every stage of life and every race. And that's something that we need. And I'm ranting. Okay, we need our hearts opened up. We need our hearts opened up. We need to pay attention. We need to pray, but it doesn't stop there. Then we respond out of that prayer as to what God is saying for us to do. Okay, I'm done ranting. Thank you. My third point. So, in light of all of this, God has called us to live a life that points to him. God has called us to live a life that points to him. I'm going to read verses 25 through 40. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these things to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent, sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said, I love this. Paul said to them, They've beaten us publicly. Uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. And the police reported these, these words to the magistrate, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. See, that makes a whole big difference, doesn't it? So then they came and apologized to them. They took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them. And then they departed. So we have Paul and Silas in prison. After being accused of being and being publicly beaten, they were thrown in jail They were chained. They were in physical bondage. But what were they doing? They were in bondage themselves. They were in physical bondage. They were in prison. They had chains on them. But what were they doing? They were doing what they set out to do the first thing that morning. And that was to pray. They sang and they prayed. They worshipped and they prayed. This is where faith and real life meet. How do you handle the things, those supposed detours that come your way? If you're thrown in jail unjustly, would you be worshiping and would you be praying? Yeah, you'd probably be praying. Yes, you would. But they were worshiping. Their mind was on the Lord. You see, before this happened, they were on that way to prayer and that was their priority. That was their mindset. That's what we need to do. They didn't look at the prison. They didn't look at jail. They didn't look at their beatings as a distraction from what they were called to do. They went and did it. And you know what? While they were praying, while they were worshiping, the prisoners were listening. The prisoners and the other cells were listening. What a testimony. What an example. When you're going through difficulty, when you're going through a tough time, when you're communicating the things that you communicate, what do people hear when they're nearby? What are they listening to? What are they hearing about what you're saying? From Paul and Silas, it was prayer and songs of worship, even though they were in a tough situation. Our lives need to be one where people can look at them and say, there's something there. There's something real there. There's something different there. A life that points to God. So this earthquake happens, and I think it was a miraculous earthquake. I don't think it was a general earthquake. I think if it was a general earthquake that just the earth shifted and things like that, I think that the prison would have collapsed and everybody would have died in it. Okay? I think this was a miraculous earthquake. One of those earthquakes like, like near the resurrection of Jesus when an angel came out of heaven and the earth shook. You know, those kind of earthquakes. Okay? Because the only thing that happened to the prison was the doors opened up and the chains fell off. 
I mean, that's the kind of earthquake we want to have. The doors fly open and the chains fall off. You can't beat that. And the prisoners stayed there. Nobody left. And the jailer, and this is the fascinating thing. The jailer, Paul watched out for the jailer. This is where Paul's mentality is at. This is where I, I want to get to be like that. I think we all as Christians need to get to be. We want to be watching out for the other person. Paul watches out for the, the jailer. I think Paul knew the intensity of the job of a jailer. Paul was in the military. Paul threw people in prison. He knew what jailers were like. He knew what was going on in his heart. He knew his job was intense. And if something went wrong, that you would rather kill yourself than face the authorities that you would have to deal with. Paul knew these things. Now, maybe we feel bad or discouraged about things. I don't know that I've ever wanted to kill myself over a job. You know, that has not happened to me. So it must have been pretty bad. This jailer was going to fall on his sword. And Paul being understanding and he saw the sanctity of human life, the value there, the opportunity he saw to talk to this man, the Christ-like response, he says, wait, don't kill yourself. Everybody's here. Don't worry about it. So he calls the guards, the jailer does, and all the prisoners were there. He could have, he could have had called all the guards and said, listen, all these prisoners are going to escape. Let's kill them all. He could have done that. He could have called a repair crew. They come in. It probably would have been union. Might have taken longer. You never know. But that's not what he did. He went in. And what does he say? His salvation is now his greatest concern of his life. It's not his job. It's not what his bosses are going to think. His salvation is now the greatest concern that he has. Don't harm yourself, Paul says. And the jailer trembles with fear, and he says, what must I do to be saved? When it comes right down to it, when you're concerned for your own salvation, you aren't concerned about what others think. You aren't concerned about what you're supposed to do. You take Jesus at his terms, not your own. And he brings them out of prison. He brings them out of much worse than what he would have. He brings Paul out of prison. And it would have been worse if he'd have left Paul in prison or if some of them would have escaped. He takes Paul totally out of prison. The prison. And he takes him home. I think that's fascinating. He brings him out of there. And I think once again, just like Lydia had her eyes opened, had her heart opened, had her ears opened, this is what happened here. And he said, what must I do to be saved? And he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. It doesn't get any better than that. Now, once the town leaders found out that Paul was a Roman citizen, they became scared. Paul could have said something before, but I have a feeling that he counted, first first of all, he counted it worthy to suffer for the gospel. And I also think he counted it as an opportunity to see what God was going to do to bring more fruit. Paul asked 
what Paul asked for was that the leaders would be humble, that the leaders would come and apologize. Paul could have sued them. Paul could have brought them all to Rome. Paul could have done all kinds of things. All he asked was, humble yourselves and apologize. Admit that you did wrong and we'll leave. He wasn't being vindictive. I would have wanted to get even. That's the kind of person I am. But I'll bet you the magistrates never forgot Paul and Silas visiting that city. Now there's a first impression. There's a first impression. And what do they do in closing here? What do they do? They go to Lydia's house. And this is fascinating to me. They go to see the new believers. They go to encourage the new believers. You'd think getting out of prison after having been beaten, that Paul and Silas would need to be encouraged. Oh, it's going to be okay. You guys all right? No, they went and they encouraged the new believers. And they were excited about what was going to happen. New believers need encouragement. I, we all do. That's why the Bible says encourage one another daily. They need encouragement. And after they encouraged them, they departed See, in this whole section of Scripture, there's lessons of faith, there's lessons of prayer, there's lessons of sharing, there's lessons of dealing with trouble, there's lessons about detours, there's lessons about trusting. And as we look and as we read and as we understand all of these things, these are all lessons of life. And it's something that's so important for us. Let me read the main point again as I close. God truly does open our hearts, opens our eyes, and changes our lives, even in the most unexpected situations. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that these classic, classic stories, true stories from a classic, true book, can be so applicable to our lives even this very day. Lord, we do pray that you would open our hearts all the more. Lord, that you would open our eyes all the more to see what you are doing. Open our ears, Lord, so that we can hear and discern the things that you have for us to do in this life. And we ask, Lord, that as we do this, we would respond as to the direction and the clarity that you give from above. So we thank you, Lord, for our time. In Jesus' name, amen.